I want to honor two people. Kawan back there who you just saw. Awesome, awesome man. He's serving. Also one of our deacons in our church. And we want to highlight the people in our church that are serving and why they serve and the impact that it makes today. We're going to talk about social responsibility. And part of that, right, is taking responsibility for things other than yourself. And that includes things like the church and church services. There's something that happens when you're sweating together with other people that Christ literally comes out, the anointing uh, comes out and working together and serving one another. So Kwan not only is a brilliant man, a great server, he's a scientist who does cancer research and just a brilliant, brilliant guy. We're so thankful to have him serving in so many aspects at City Life Church. I want to honor him. The second person I need to honor today and want to honor is my wife. She turned 40 today. Today is her birthday. And since I have a mic, I get to do whatever I want, right? And so I just want to give her honor. And uh, 40 years old, in our family, we jokingly have called it leveling up. So she's at level four now. So like we've just leveled up. Uh, We're excited about level five, level six. Some of you level six in here, we just bow at your feet and we want to learn how you do the things because other superpowers come to you, right, Dewan? When you level up, you know how that works. So um, that's what we've done. In fact, my son has taken that to the full extreme, my, my smallest. So if, if my eight-year-old Jackson comes up to you and asks you what level you're on, okay, you got to understand how this works. So he knows he's level 0.8. He's still in the tutorial. And so he's going to learn and he'll level up one day and he's excited about it. So Connie's like, what level Sue on? And I'm like, uh, I don't want to say, you know, but uh, so that's what we do in our house. Hey, I want to continue in part six of our series as we're going through this book, 100 years from now in our small groups as well as on Sunday mornings. We are hitting today the third part of what we call a disciple. And that is not only someone who's Christ-centered, which is it prioritizing Christ and then moving on to everything else, but making him the center in everything, my family, my work, my schedule, my wife, my everything revolves and orbits around Jesus as the center. Out of that, it should create a need for more power because you cannot do that in and of yourself. And Jesus himself said that, that you can't do this alone, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to send a helper, he says, the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 and 15. And he does. He sends the Holy Spirit to empower us to witness and to live the life that God has called us. So we are a needy people just in receiving Christ as our Savior. The Spirit is the one who empowers us to exhibit and to show and demonstrate Christ in our world. And then lastly is for us social responsibility, which entails a lot of things. A lot of it is a mind shift, though. In a culture, in an age where we're so personality-driven and individualistic-driven, like, again, I've got to level up myself and I've got to learn all of my things about me, which we're all about. We love Enneagram. We love all those things at this church. At the same time, the goal of that isn't just to discover your purpose, but also the purpose within you that God wants to bring you to be socially responsible in our world, to have a purpose that edifies and helps and brings the world on a trajectory because of the life that you brought and gave. In fact, 
The first half of your life typically is discovering who you are and figuring out what you're good at and your successes. And the second half of life is really dying to yourself in order to be able to give like a seed that goes into the ground for generations to come. And that's what this is all about. When we talk about social responsibility, there's a couple of scriptures we like to talk about and we use. Let me give you a couple of them, and then we'll get to where we're going to study today. Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes on the scene one of his first times. He's in a synagogue, which is similar to a church service. It was actually the central part of all of society in Judaism at the time. And so they would go to the synagogue, and only the elite and eloquent, and those who could actually speak well in the Scripture and make sure you say it right, were asked to come and present the Scripture. And Jesus was asked, he would go around the synagogue, synagogues. He's starting to grow in his teaching and he stands up and he asks for the book or the scroll of Isaiah to be handed to him. And he flips to the part where it says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he like drops it like a mic, the scroll, and says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And they all get mad and upset as Jesus tends to do with religious people. And they're ready to kick him out and they drive him out because he was proclaiming to be the one that is going to bring this prophecy from Isaiah. And this is a level of social responsibility. I'm not just here for myself, but I'm going to proclaim good news. I'm going to heal the broken hardness, hard. Uh, I'm going I'm to heal. I'm going to bind up wounds, set the captives free. Deuteronomy 10 in the, in the Old Testament, the OT is said in verse 17, for the Lord, your God, is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. On God's job description, he already shows automatically. He's not just setting the earth in orbit and leaving it like a deist might believe that God created and then just left, but he actually enters in and says, I'm going to make sure that you as a kingdom, as Israel, are about the other kingdoms and helping them and encouraging them. It even just starts with that mantra of social responsibility. So today we use a lot in our church, you've heard it, when we've talked about social responsibility, we've used Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 that says this, Jesus is speaking one of his first messages and says, you, actually the Greek is y'all, you all, he's Texan, but it's not just one person, it's y'all, he's speaking to thousands of people. Y'all are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Y'all are the light of the world, a city set on a hill 
cannot be hidden. And we get to puff our chest a little bit. Yeah, I am salt and light. And we talk about that in our church, being salt and light in our community. We've showed you what that means, what salt is in that culture and light. But what I want to do today is backtrack a little bit and think about contextually who he's talking to as we build a worldview in a frame that is social responsibility and what we mean by it. So what's the context behind coming in and saying, hey, by the way, y'all are salt and light. It's not just a, something he just randomly says. He's building up to that. In fact, it's interesting. He's on a mountain, and the, the, it's called the Mount of Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And Jesus has already been calling disciples. People are following. He's healed people. He's spoken in the synagogues by this time. So he has gained popularity to the point where he has to get on a mountain because there's thousands of people that are flocking to him and coming to him to listen to him and what he has to say. And he starts, if you have like one of those red letter Bibles, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's just all red. Because it's Jesus is kind of almost introduced coming out of what his teaching is, of who he's proclaiming to be, as all of these people are following him and saying, I want to be his disciple and be like him. All of these people are coming. And the first words that he utters is this. Look at this first one, five one. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. Again, his disciples, not just the 12. Don't just think 12. Jesus had hundreds, if not thousands of disciples, just honed in on 12 kind of leaders of those. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying this, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then y'all are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it be? Has saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Y'all are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, oftentimes you might have heard a message about this or you've read the Beatitudes or the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and the blessed passages. And someone's like, okay, poor in spirit, meek, okay, persecuted, don't really like that. And, and we kind of just kind of put it over to the side or we try to like, well, I want to be this, I want to be that, so I'm going to add persecution to my life, which is not exactly what is happening here. We could get so familiar with this story that we forget some questions we need to ask about context. In fact, 
talking about this Sermon on the Mount is a biblical commentator and theologian, Stanley Hauerweiss, which says this, listen to this. Too often, these characteristics of the blessings in Christian history have been turned into ideals or virtues that we must strive to attain. Poor in spirit, mourning, meek, etc. When we do that, when we make them virtues or ideals that I have to I need to obtain, we turn them into formulas that help us gain status and favor with God. Which of course is precisely the opposite of what he's trying to say. Jesus didn't start his teaching by saying, in order to level up and go to these next levels so God will love you and appreciate you, you have to be these things or you have to do these things because the message of the gospel was you can't, you need a savior. This is the message Jesus brought to the people. In fact, he continues and he says this, rather these blessings, they are descriptions of the kinds of people to whom Jesus in fact first brought the kingdom of God. Nowhere does Jesus tell us we should try to be poor in spirit or mourning all of the time or try to get yourself persecuted he simply announces the great surprise that these people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be first among those let into God's kingdom. When we are looking at this in this passage, in these blessed passages, in order to build a framework for social responsibility today, we have to understand these are not criteria to like be a good Christian, be poor in spirit, be meek. It's simply a description of the people that were following Jesus at the time. We say it a lot here that the Bible was written for you, but it wasn't necessarily written to you. You need to understand that. So we've got to humble ourselves and say and ask these questions. Who is Jesus talking to and in what context? Why? Because otherwise, again, we develop like formulas to say, this is the blessed life. Because Jesus coming on the scene as a great rabbi to start his sermon and his soliloquy on what life is like and his healing all these people and he's doing all these great things. And like any great man of God or great man, even apart from religion, we want to hear, what do you say? What is your TED talk about how to be blessed in this life? about how to be happy, how many different talks or self-help books or whatever it is where you listen to a guru or read a book that says, this is really the best way to live. We have that constantly in our culture. And of course, with Jesus developing this following and who he was, he's going to start his whole sermon by saying, here's how I define a blessed life. And so often we want to say, okay, I want to be blessed. Do you want to be blessed? I want to, I want to be happy. Do you want to be happy? I, I want to live a good life, right? I've read that book and that person said this is how it is and this person says this is how it is. What does Jesus think and say, okay, I'm attentive. I'm listening because he's talking to that crowd. Every person that speaks, no, you've got to cater to the crowd you're speaking to. And, and you can't just, you can't not think about that. And this is what he's doing. He's got the context. Who is he speaking to? Well, first of all, we know from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that the people that were following Jesus were the downhardened, the downtrodden, the sick, the poor. 
They had nothing typically and nowhere else to go. And they needed someone to heal them, to feed them, to help them, which was predominantly a lot of the people in the Galilee area. Now, there were mixed people and other people that had means and funds. But for the most part, this is who he's speaking to. He's speaking to a people that are under literally slavery to Rome and oppressed and suppressed like you wouldn't believe. Now, we might have some oppression and systematic things going on in our society, and we could talk about that and argue about that, but you can definitely say what they were going to is times one billion what we go through. And we've tried to be explicit to help you understand this is very relevant teaching Jesus is talking about. If you feel like you've ever been oppressed, if you feel like you've ever had injustice, you need to read Jesus because he's talking to people that understand injustice. He's talking to people that literally in their law, a Roman guard could hold, have a bag and just grab anybody. It didn't matter what you're doing in the middle of the day. It doesn't matter where you have to go. I don't care if you're heading to a funeral. That Roman guard could grab you and say, walk with my 100-pound pack at least a mile just by law. And they'd have to stop everything they're doing, grab their pack and walk a mile. And this is where Jesus says, now you go the extra mile because you're my people. And my people live to serve. This is the people Jesus is talking, very relevant in our culture. And not just like Jesus doesn't understand, he understands. And yet he brings this upside down way. And people want to know, what is he bringing? Now, I want to bring you a little bit of history. There's another Jesus, 150 years prior, who was one of the most famous rabbis with a following. And he even wrote a book called The Wisdom of Yeshua ben Sira, 150 years before Jesus. So they were used to rabbis coming in and saying, here's the blessed life. Here's what it means. Here's an excerpt from The Wisdom of ben Sira, Yeshua ben Sira, a Jewish scholar in 150 BC. The way he defines a good, happy, blessed life verse 7 in this book, he says this. It reads like the Bible, but it's not. Let me make sure you understand that. He says this, I can think of nine whom I would call blessed. In a tenth, my tongue proclaims, here we go, a man who can rejoice in his children. Okay, that's a good, that's a blessing. I, I like what you're saying there. A man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Ooh, I like that one. It's a bless. Okay, I'm listening to you, bro. Blessed is the man who lives with a sensible wife. Amen. Slow clap. <laughs> and the one who does not plow with ox and ass together. You're welcome. We said it in church. Blessed is the one who does not sin with the tongue. Okay. And the one who has not served an inferior. Ooh, yeah. Blessed is the one who finds a friend and the one who speaks to attentive listeners. How great is the one who finds the wisdom, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. Fear of the Lord surpasses everything. To whom can we compare the one who has it? This Yeshua, very popular 
wrote wisdom books that people said, yes, this is the blessed life. These are the people that God blesses. Let's hone in on a few again. As we said earlier, number one, one of the ones he says, this is the blessed life. Someone who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Again, think about the oppression they have of Rome, the Jews being oppressed by Rome and having to do 50% taxes alone. And the other 80% went to food You didn't have much vacation time in that time, especially if you were poor and you were made poor by that type of kingdom, the kingdom of Rome. And he says, so you're blessed when you get to see the downfall of your foes. That's when you know you're blessed, when you saw them go down. Like I knew that boss, there was something corrupt about him and it came out, I'm blessed. You're blessed, he says, the one who has not served an inferior. You know, you have that boss, whether it's a man or a woman, that you're going, man, they're so stupid. And they don't even have the degree I have. They don't have the pedigree that I have. And I'm going to serve under this person. You're blessed when you get to say, I don't have to serve under somebody in fear. Like, it's easy for me to serve. Oh, you're brilliant. You've got more degrees than Fahrenheit. Like, I love what you bring to the table. I'll serve you. But man, you're super blessed when you don't have to serve under someone who's inferior to you. That's when you know you've reached the good life. You're blessed. When you're one who speaks to attentive listeners, when you have the TED Talk and you have people just eating at your table and just listening to you, you know you've reached the top because everyone is listening to your expertise. Now you're blessed. Now again, this was a culture where the rabbi or the teacher would pronounce these blessings and Jesus comes on the scene and just does this upside down flip kingdom reversal. And if we as Jesus followers are going to follow the words that come out of his mouth and listen to him, we need to pay attention to what does Jesus say the blessed life is? Well, first of all, he's looking out at the vast crowd, thousands of people who are following him. And not like for an hour service to hear him speak for 40 minutes. This man would talk all day. That's some devotion to where they're hungry and he's got to feed them all now, right? These are people that are devoted and wanting that he's healing, but they're poor and they're broken and they've got nothing left in life. They're bankrupt and they're just listening to his words. In their culture, they would be considered trash, nothing, have nothing to offer. They're just, they're just mouth breathers. <laughs> That's it. They've got nothing. I I like these artists, Tim Noble and Sue Webster. They've been in the Freud Museum in London as well as Rockefeller Plaza in New York for their artistry and what they do. Let's show this first picture. What they do is they actually use trash to make art. And so this art piece, you you would walk in in the gallery and they would literally have trash like this, like Coke cans, if you can't see it from the back. It's like Coke cans and beer cans and it looks like they have holes on them and and it's just trash. And you walk in and it's just lit up and you're just like, what am I looking at? You've ever been to one of those museums and you're just like, what is happening? This This looks like my garage, like just the trash, man. What happens is then they turn the lights off and they beam a light. Next slide. 
and you see it's called Sunset Over Manhattan. They use trash, but when trash gets light put on it, you see the artistry behind it. You see that there's more than what meets the eye, and the trash is now beautiful art. This other one I like, they have several. Some of them are not appropriate, but you can look them up yourself. The next one, this one's called Wasted Youth, and literally this is just trash. Trash bags, it's like McDonald's. So maybe if you're going to the gallery and you're looking and all the lights are on, you're just going, okay, what is this? You're thinking, and it says wasted youth, so it's like, okay, I see McDonald's, maybe McDonald's is killing our youth, like what? I just see that everywhere, like what is going on? And then they turn the lights and beam, and you see the shadow and the silhouette that looks like people, it looks like young people and youth, and you see that they're trying to say what we might look at as trash or homeless and people that don't have anything. They're living in that garbage and living by that standard, but I'm creating art in the midst of the trash. Jesus starts his whole teaching with this incredibly profound statements of what he would declare the blessed life looks like. And this, listen, gives us a framework for social responsibility. Let me show you the first thing he says in the nine blessed statements. As a rabbi would do, he says this. Not blessed are you when you don't have to serve an inferior. Not blessed are you when everything goes well. He starts his whole message of the kingdom of God that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We would immediately go, okay, what do you mean by poor? Do you mean like economically? Do you mean, so like obviously they don't have any money and means and social status, or do you mean like spiritually poor? So they don't have, they're not very spiritual. They're not, they don't have spiritual status. So they don't speak and get up and people listen and go, oh, tell me how you divided that scripture. Like they're cast away. And we typically, because we're Americans, we like to compartmentalize everything. And you'll say, what's well, this or it's that. And, and you need to realize it's both. The poor in spirit, not the middle class in spirit, not the rich in spirit, but those that are spiritually recognized, they're bankrupt and they have nothing to offer society. Jesus looks and looks at people like that and says, you're blessed when you're like this. Not as a formula to get there, but to recognize I'm looking at people that feel insignificant. And he says, that's the people that are really blessed because... Yours is the kingdom. In other words, God is calling you, not because you have anything to offer, but because you know you don't. This is how he starts his gospel, his teaching. And you imagine the hearers immediately were going, what? God wants to use me? I can be a disciple of you? You're brilliant. I, at my lowest place, nothing to offer. I'm significant. You imagine the hope that would arise to where as he crescendos into y'all are salt, y'all are light. There's a sense of purpose in the purposelessness that they've been offered before. He continues. And he says this, blessed are those who mourn, for they 
shall be comforted. What is mourning? These are people that are so bothered by the tragedy and the evil and the broken relationships that they see happening in the world that it actually grieves them. Like, it's okay to not be happy all the time. In fact, you're grieving because you look out in the world and you don't just take this like anesthesia to kind of just knock you out. And I don't want to think about the world because it's so crazy. And I just want to kind of chill and not worry about it. I'm going to distract myself with all sorts of things. But no, blessed are those who actually look out and grieve and mourn. And again, he's looking at these people and he's probably seeing them and they're going, yeah. That's me. I'm here listening to you all day. I'm following you with my kids here and we don't have anything to eat because I'm desperate and I'm not just going to sit back and figure it out on my own. You alone have the words of life and I'm grieving over our culture. When's the last time you just grieved over injustice? Things in our culture are happening as opposed to just clicking on a show to get rid of the noise. Blessed are you when you mourn. It says, blessed, here's my blessed life, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A good definition, we don't use this word a lot, a good understanding of meek is someone who doesn't think of yourself as that important. Moses, the Bible says, was meek. He got to a place of extreme humility. And these are people he's talking to that really feel like, I don't have anything to offer. And he's saying, yours is the kingdom. Like, you're right there because you recognize you need something outside of yourself. He says, the happy life, the blessed life is when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Think about the last time you were hungry or thirsty or you start feeling the effects of it in your body. I mean, some of you get really angry. You get hangry, right? Hungry and angry, and you're just ready to hurt somebody. Like, I look like the person in my family that would be hangry, and I'm not. I'm just like, whatever. My wife gets hangry. God bless her. Level four. <laughs> and, and we physically hurt, and it's painful because we're longing for something we don't have. And he says, when you long for righteousness as if you don't already have it in yourself, righteousness, but you need it from God, now you're in position. The kingdom is yours. And you, you can imagine these people are going, we're significant to this rabbi. We have something to offer to this man who has followers in the thousands and healing the sick. Imagine the hope arising in them and not just hearing it and reading it really quick like we do in our culture, but they're going, I'm nothing. And God says, I'm called. He says this, blessed are the merciful. This is an act of care and compassion to help someone is hurting. You don't have to have great means in order to care and help someone in need. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. These are people that aren't seeking their own gain or approval or accolades of man. They're just there because they realize they can be a part of the solution even if they don't have the means. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. These are people that 
see conflict with others and love the resolve, not like, ooh, the juice when they, you know, juicy gossip, but like, no, I love it when they come into resolve. There's a difference between a peacekeeper who tries to please everybody and a peacemaker. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted. This isn't like Christian persecution, yet this is actually saying that if you suffer for righteousness, not just Christianity, but like you do something and you know it's right and you suffer, whether it's monetarily or physically, he says, that's when you know you're blessed. Everything's not working out, but you're doing it for the right reason. That's the blessing. You're blessed by God. That's the happy life. And he says, then blessed when you're falsely accused, reviled, persecuted, and uttered falsely on my account. These are for the Christians. Let's stand up for Christ and his way and people revile them. It says persecute to hurt them and utter bad things about them. He says, you know you're blessed not when everybody loves you. In fact, Jesus would say, beware of somebody when everyone loves them. Jesus says this, but man, when you're persecuted falsely, <laughs> that's the key word he says on my account, falsely. Now you know that's the blessed life. Then he goes in, you're the light of the world. See, he's built this framework to a people and given them hope. The amazing part about this hope is a lot of times we look at that and we go, well, no, the blessed life is blank. It's this, it's having money, it's having prestige, it's having all of these kind of, like that's the real blessed life when everything's working out. And Jesus says, I brought the kingdom to those that realize they need something more than just of themselves or their external environment. And here's the question, if you say, well, I don't really wanna follow that, like that's not, that Jesus I would want to follow. I would ask you this. He's not just saying this and proclaiming this and like Debbie Downer and everybody's just like, oh, okay, great. The hope that is built in these people that are insignificant in their culture is amazing. But also here's the question. Can you think of somebody who came from poor, insignificant circumstances? Can you think of somebody maybe who was mourned over the state of this world? Someone who was extremely important but did not think of himself as much and came to serve and not be served. Through his acts of mercy to hurting individuals, he healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He inserted himself into dangerous situations between people who hate each other and was ultimately persecuted and killed for it. Can you think of somebody like that? Jesus isn't just proclaiming this to them, but he's saying, this is me. And when you follow me, you're following my life. And I'm telling you, this is the blessed life because we know what Jesus did and went through. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, he was anointed with more joy than anyone who's ever walked on the face of the earth. He was joyous in healing and loving people, even though he did mourn for the results, but ultimately he brought salvation and resurrection power to us. And he says, be like me. God offers the kingdom to those who recognize I have nothing to offer. And you know this in your salvation experience. You don't come to the altar. You don't come to Jesus and you're going, you know, I actually got this figured out. You came to Christ at your lowest place because you recognize I got nothing to offer. And Jesus says, yours is the kingdom. This is what this is about. You recognize you need a savior. 
not just a helper or someone to pull you out of your bad circumstances, to lend you a little bit of help and money and healing, but you are spiritually bankrupt and you need a savior. You mourn for where the world is and where you are and you long to be a change agent and God says, that's who I'm looking for, not the proud and self-righteous. The way I would personally define social responsibility for our church is this social responsibility is taking on the internal, external, and eternal suffering of others personally and collectively. There's a personal responsibility if I see someone that is hurting to think how has Jesus healed me internally, helped me externally, and ultimately the greatest help is my eternal alleviation of suffering. How can I offer that to that person? And I must be about God's business because that's what God is all about. If I just hoard spirituality for myself and to grow in knowledge, biblical wisdom for myself, I'm no good ultimately for the kingdom because the ultimate goal is to carry the internal, external, and eternal weight and suffering of others as well and join into their desert and help them get out personally and then as a church collectively. Jesus embodies that trait. The way we do that in our church, we, we do it in several different ways. It's just a few, but it, collectively, we encourage the Harvey Relief. As you know, we gave well over $200,000, went in over 100 homes, mucked the homes, got after it, did whatever we can, and are still continuing. You're going to hear about this at one church, what we're continuing to do with Harvey Relief because there's still 100,000 homes affected from Harvey still today. So as soon as that happened, we're like, what can we do? But not only was it external, like, let me give you money and let us muck your home externally. But we got to, I remember praying for Robert. I remember praying for Tiffany. And God is just breaking their heart and crying. We're going, we're not just here for your external suffering. That's great. We're not just here for social justice. We bring kingdom justice. And that is internal, eternal, and external. Because that's what God does in us. And as we're praying, I remember Earl's with me and he's prophesying over, he's, Rob's just crying and Tiffany's just crying and God is moving in their heart and they're beginning to go, there's more. We wanna help, but more than just external. We have things like exchange where we're praying and we're bringing awareness, but we don't wanna just pull these girls out of the trafficking, human trafficking, but we also want internal healing and help them and eternal healing and alleviation of suffering. We have things like 10 days where we're going short-term mission trips and you get to go there and do things and help people and build houses, but also win people to the Lord and say, you have a calling. This is for you. If you feel insignificant, you're the perfect candidate because God loves to confound the wise. Life years, an opportunity that we have Heather Chappelle going to South Africa to give a year of her life at least to missions work. We have Outside the Gate coming up this Saturday where we get to build beds for these orphans that they can't get into a home until they have a bed. And so they're stuck in the CPS office living on the floor until we could come and help build them beds and bring bags and help them. And this is collective social responsibility. But I would say it even goes beyond some of those externals into things like rap sessions 
for us goes in this category because we're talking about, we're having conversations about our diversity and having internal struggles and ultimately pulling people and pushing them to the eternal alleviation of suffering in Christ where he brings hope and significance and purpose and power to effectively change the world. Those are just a few. And in your life, I hope you've experienced all three of those and continue to experience that because God wants to do some internal social responsibility work in you still today. I'm not done. I'm only level three. I'll hit level four in a month or two. I need a lot of work and God offers as I continue to humble my heart in a posture of I need you. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're gonna close today just in worship of Jesus, the one who is poor in spirit and meek and humble and cares about the needs of us. We're gonna sing about him being a bondage breaker and worship him. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, that you call us even the most insignificant in the eyes of the world and you give us purpose in Jesus' name.